Hello, everyone, and welcome to I Hope I Can Make It Through, a Degrassi viewing podcast. I'm your veteran, Donnie. I'm your exhausted neophyte, Frank. I feel like you've been saying that in a couple weeks. Because these episodes have been exhausting. <laughs> Fuck you, Mr. Oleander. That's true. We're checking out Season 4, Episode 17, Queen of Hearts. Quick content warning before we get into this one. Um, this episode is going to feature animal death. It's also going to feature alcoholism and gambling and a weird, vaguely transphobic joke um, relating to Marco's hair. Um, and then also, unfortunately, we are marred by this goddamn Oleander plot. So we're going to be talking more about power dynamics and teacher-student relationships. And honestly, this damn plot brings nothing new to the damn discussion. And I feel like we're just going to say the same fucking things we've been saying every other time this plot has happened. But before we get too far into that, Frank, would you like to introduce our A plot and our B plot? Ugh. <laughs> Paige is upset because, like, her and Oleander can't find time to make their gross, stupid relationship happen. Oleander's a creep. Um, and then it ends with finding out he's even more of a creep. Yes, Dimitri. That um, is not Dimitri! <laughs> I don't know who it is. I haven't it's played that game. I'm sorry. It's the do To do thinking about it. so so just pulling back the curtain friend, friend of the show joey and a few of us are going karaoke in the city on saturday from for a while i'm not gonna say where or when but like i just realized how much fire emblem i'm gonna be hearing about in that time frame. and you know what's even funnier there are people coming over who are like coming to it who are also fire emblems so like you're going to be surrounded by fire emblem and more importantly you're going to be surrounded by me playing songs and screaming this is for my ship and before i go into it fair enough <laughs> get and get excited i mean it won't only be but there will be a lot of me going hey guys let's sing animal i've become <laughs> anyway pitter patter let's get at her um, <laughs> God, I need to start incorporating more Letterkenny slang into my, um, into my, uh, into my lexicon. That's a, takes a size 10 four. Um, anyway, uh, A-plot is, um, Ellie is having trouble making rent. She decides to start playing Euchre. Don't know why it couldn't just be Texas Hold'em or some other less complicated game. Um, and she's going to make money that way. Uh, her mom has entered back into her life and is trying to reconcile with her, but Ellie is not for it. Yeah. So let's start with our B-plot and let's keep going. Look, we got to just rip it off like a band-aid. I know, I know. Okay. My thing, once again, with this damn B-plot, and it, it doesn't get any better, I feel like, at this point. I think we can call this just, like, this is how it's always going to be. Uh, so, sorry, I also just want to point out, we, we're moving to Fridays now. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if you notice the episodes have been coming up later, uh, coming up late lately, is because we record on Wednesdays, and usually um, our episodes end up being two to three hours long. And I was having trouble balancing, like, getting the... Because, well, like, we're going to start recording at 9. <laughs> we record for three hours. I go home. I sleep for five hours. And I, like, usually have stuff to do. <laughs> so I can't really edit the episodes and get them out on time. 
on Thursday, so we're just bumping it over to Fridays now. Yeah, and thank you again, everybody, for your patience with everything, because it's like, we we both are kind of going through a lot of stuff right now. My case, finally, I'm getting good news, but it does mean new and different things, because I did get promoted to a director position in my job, which is really exciting, but it does mean that now I kind of have to adjust some things and get used to it and transition into this position. Um, so... Now things are being impacted because of happy reasons on my end, but once again, thank you for your patience with everything. Um, it definitely doesn't go unnoticed. Um, and yeah, hopefully Fridays work for you. I mean, honestly, a lot of my favorite podcasts go up on Fridays. I feel like a lot of shows do. I feel like it's also kind of like how um, the Rolling Stones and Beatles never released on the same day. I don't want to compete with my Bim Bam and the Adventure Zone. Fair enough. Because <laughs> like... When Teen Girl Talk started, we reco- we released on Mondays, and I was like, I think we should bump this to Wednesdays. But then I realized where then we're competing with Sawbones, which is just as popular as a lot of those other ones. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, there's probably no, I mean, there's no perfect algorithm. The, the podcasting is truly the Wild West, even though celebrities want to suggest that it's not. Yeah. But we're distracting ourselves way too much. Let's get into this B-plot so we can be done with it. So, our B-plot opens up in Oleander's class, which that's when you know, like, I'm watching this episode, I'm like, I remember this A-plot, okay, and then I see the B-plot, and I'm like, motherfucker, it's this shit. I really don't remember it being this dragged out when I was a kid, but I also wonder if it was one of those things that I personally, as a kid, was like, oh, that's weird and whatever, and I just kind of brushed it aside. I remember not really be even when I was a kid... I was not really into power dynamic shit. Like, some some people are and some kids are, and I have my gripes with it. I recognize that a lot of my gripes are also, like, totally reasonable as I work with children. And the last thing I'd want to do is cross a line or, like, make them uncomfortable. So the thought of a teacher-student as any type of genre is terrifying to me. But I know some people don't have that kind of, like, ingrained in them. So I understand, like, some people, I guess, are into it. I'm not, but I know it's a thing. But, like, as a kid, I was never, it never appealed to me at all. It's just gross to me. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, as it should be, honestly. Like, any, like, I, I, I I never shipped this when I was younger. Like, I always... Mm -hmm wanted to keep ships within a few year range of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was mostly shipping Digimon characters in my youth. Valid. Um, and, like, you know, there's not many adults. But it was just, like, especially now that I'm getting older, and I just, like, look at you know, younger people, and I'm like, you're a child, like... Right, they're babies. I'm an adult, like, and I don't, like, we. I know there's no blood connection, but my job is to protect you. Right, and, like, in Oleander's case, like, I was that, and I said this before, like, I was that student teacher who was only, like, a couple years older than my students. Like, you, there's still a drastic difference, like, it, whatever, whatever. We've talked about this before, you know how we feel about this. Um, but Oleander's running class... Paige and Hazel both have their hands raised, but Oleander ans- um, has has Hazel answer, and of course Paige looks super annoyed by it. 
She then approaches Oleander as he's working on, like, a bulletin board, um, and in one fell swoop could critiques his lack of, of attention, makes a suggestive comment about, pay, about paying attention to her after hours, then realizes maybe that she shouldn't have made such a suggestive comment on school grounds, um, and then asks him out on a date on a school night because then less students would potentially see them. But we're still going to this place where she works. Right. Like, and if I'm her boss, I'd be like, what is my employee doing with that grown-ass man? Right. And, like, that's the thing. It's like, ugh. Like, that's the part that really, like, oh, I'd be so worried. If I was a boss and I saw that, I'd be, like, freaking out. I say if I was a boss. I say if I'm not a boss. I am a boss. It's scary and weird. Um, but yeah, no, it's like, uh, if I saw that, I would just want a mother hen. Um, but yeah, like, it's just very, and I think the thing is with this and with the way that Paige is being written in this, it just doesn't really, it just feels like, and I think what's really confusing me about this is, and I said this before, like, there's no clear transition in terms of, like, this variation of Paige. We can imply all we want that it's, like, a trauma response or it's her needing control after the shooting or whatever the fuck but we're not being really given anything and because of it we see her kind of acting like this in a way that's like that really kind of ugly archetype that exists with teacher-student relationship media where it's like the student was asking for it the student put the teacher in the corner and made them like have to because like she's just very assertive and very flirty and she literally never lets off on him and it's just uncomfortable and not pleasant to watch and it's just like it's like a weird just all everything about it is just really uncomfortable and i just don't understand what we're supposed to pull away from it yep like it's just ugh. it's the worst like and there the scene in the classroom does remind me of a scene from pretty little liars where ezra just like freaks out on a student because he thinks like, the student was hitting on his child bride before. I hope it doesn't get to those levels here, but hey, it's Degrassi. But you know who I didn't not like? You know who's, uh, who I liked in this episode? That's attached to this plot. Manny. Manny. Yes, because Manny then approaches, and neither of them have, like, any good excuse. Which, God, how bad of liars you are that you're engaging in a relationship like this. And, and he's like, uh, thank you for helping me with the bulletin board. And she's just like, thank you for helping me with my essay. And it's just like, Jesus, fuck you two. And even Manny says it, and I was so glad, because, like, she watches Paige stomp <coughs> off. And Manny just mutters so obvious. <laughs> I'm Like, this is the Manny I want. The wiser, like... The hardened unfortunately yeah but like she like i want i want manny to still believe in love but be wise enough to know where it's not coming from right like i want her to operate in a way where she does not expect loyalty mm. because she has been burned by so many different people in degrassi at this point that i feel like she deserves so much more than pretty much anyone can give her. Um, 
and I want to see her not have to depend, like, not have to constantly, like, look for attention and validation from people. Like, you come to me. I don't come to you anymore. Yeah. Manny's, I feel like Manny in this episode and going forward is just, like, the entirety of the Jens Luckman album. I don't know what love is, but I know what it isn't. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. So, anyway, uh, cut to the theater. And well, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Paige, t- Paige is in her cowboy hat. Paige in her light pink cowboy hat. Um, is just like we need to go now. Like, and her boss Mary is like doing for something pretty shitty. Honestly, mm-hmm. I'm just like I see you. Therefore, you need to work, or I'm going to fire you, which can't be legal. No, I don't think so. Um, Matt's just like, well, I better get going because that could have been like Mr. Simpson or something. Um, we can't be caught out here in the open. God. And well, maybe, you know, maybe you shouldn't be doing that. You've, you idiot. Right, right. Um, we go to the class. Paige is exhausted from, from work and every, and Hazel is, like, trying to, like, you know, be like, ooh. Which, by the way, wasn't Hazel against this premise at first? Yeah. Like, she's really, like, kind of just kind of, like, rolling with it in a way that I was pretty certain she was pretty against this whole entire thing at first. Which, like, I understand, like, after a while you you, you accept the fact that your friend is not gonna, like, get out of it. But I would assume she would be a little more put off by it. Yeah. I mean, but that would require her uh, personality, and Degrassi doesn't do that thing. Ugh, you're right. Um, we are just so, like, this B-plot has, like, just brings out the bitterness in us. Yeah, unfortunately it just does. And, like, the fact that it's a constant plot in this season, where the season has really been, quite frankly, disappointing, um, it's just infuriating. But, um, so, you know, Hazel makes a comment about it, um, Oleander then has Paige answer a question about, um, what was it? It was about... Lying versus media, uh, bias. Right. Lying versus bias. She gives a really good answer, he compliments her, and then puts a note on her fucking desk, which is the most brazen shit I have ever seen. Also, Hazel just sees it. If Hazel can just see it... Surely someone else could. You, like, you can't tell me there's not one shithead in that class. You'd be like, what's the note? <laughs> right? Yo! <laughs> Read it in front of the class. Right, like, it just seems ridiculous to me. This, like, once again, it this plot just doesn't feel like a Degrassi plot. Nobody is functioning in a way that makes sense. But I think also it's like, as much as I do think there is critique to be had about how a lot of these plots, especially when they have to do with female sexuality play out like morality plays there is something it's really infuriating to me that this plot is being treated almost like i don't want to say like almost like a porn plot but like it's almost like ooh, look at all these double entendres look at all these like implications that we're making and you know we are making the girl look like she's like asking for it as opposed to actually putting it as it is which is that he's a fucking predator it just doesn't 
not to say that, like, you know, the morality play approach is perfect, but this plot also is just not going into the potential consequences of a relationship like this, correct or not. And it's what really confuses me about this whole entire thing. Yeah. It's like, wh- why, why was it dragged out the way that it was when they're playing it as of right now as just another relationship issue? Like, this could have been... Like, other than the power dynamic stuff, the whole entire idea of, like, oh, is my partner cheating on me? I don't know. He's being really vague. I don't know. Like, that type of shit played out with a bunch of different relationships already. Oh. But, I don't know. So, um, now, then we go to, unfortunately, go to the boiler room where Oleander and Paige make out, which is, ugh, to watch. Paige then is like, oh, like, I've never had a teacher pass a note before, which once again, like, reiterates this weird hee-hee-ness to this whole entire plot. Like, it's, it's reveling in the forbidden aspect of it. Whereas, like, a plot like this, like, not to say you can't talk about this, because, like, teachers are fucking creeps sometimes, unfortunately. They do this to kids sometimes. But, like, to, it, it seems to almost, like, revel in it. And revel in how forbidden it is. And it's really nasty. Yep. So, they're making out. Um, they're, and as they're making out, he's like, yeah. You know, he's like explaining like the whole entire idea of like, even though this isn't the most romantic place, it's kind of the best that he could do. And as they're talking about that, the door then begins to almost open. And he slams the door back. It's actually a connection back to the A plot because it's all the kids who are playing Euchre trying to find a place to cut class. Which I thought was a nice little interplay. I think one of the strengths of this season is that they are doing a lot of fun stuff with transitions and connecting the A plot timeline to the B plot timeline. It's happened a couple times. I think it's really effective. Um, It's definitely a strength of this season that I feel like we didn't really see in the other seasons beforehand. However... um, it does not release us from the hell because Oleander then goes to Paige. Paige says, like, hey, like, I want to come over. Like, why don't I come over? We, then we'll actually have privacy because, like, presumably you live alone. Must be nice. <laughs> hey, that's what happens, I guess, when you're watching something in early aughts. <laughs> like, all the adults can live on their own. Um, and Oleander then refuses the offer and then, like, freaking like leaves and blows a kiss condescendingly he's like make sure you leave after like make sure you wait a little bit before you leave blows kiss leaves i'm like nothing more romantic than the words wait a minute before you leave right because we can't be seen together because i'm a gross adult hitting on and smooching a 16 to 17 year old when i'm clearly over 21 because as i would get into a bar and once again dear dear listener who maybe has not seen the episode in a while, or maybe hasn't watched the episode, or whatever. You may ask yourself, is this not a way for Paige to realize that she is being devalued by this horrible little man? To which I say, I wish, dear listener. However, that is not the case, because the next scene, we're in the gym. Well, you might also ask yourself, of, is, this my, is this my beautiful Degrassi? No, this- it's not. <laughs> This isn't my beautiful page. Every day goes by. <laughs> it's me in the giant suit. 
I, I, I actually the video show you had where is it Kermit yes. in the giant suit because that's my favorite <laughs> Kermit doing days go by it's like one of my favorite things my recommendation for this week is Kermit the Frog <laughs> anyway so once again you would think maybe this is our our way of seeing Paige begin to realize that this is not a good situation for her no because she goes to the gym Manny and Paige are fussing with the new uniforms which was originally why Manny approached Paige at the bulletin board and Manny asks about Oleander. Um, well, she says, so Mr. O is cute. Right. Like, so she does, like, a little lead-in, and Paige is like, yeah, he is, but... He's smart and funny with a tight little yoga body thrown in for fun. <sighs> okay, if that wasn't... T- if she was talking about anybody but Oleander, that'd be an enjoyable Paige line. And that's the thing. It's like, I, I by no means want to suggest that, like... We're not trying to. We're not trying to be puritanical. No, we're no. trying to be just. Right, and like once again, we've seen Paige have a crush on a teacher, and that plot. While I didn't like the jealousy aspects with Spinner, the idea of her having a crush on a teacher was a very real thing, and it's still it's a very real thing for kids, right? Like a lot of kids have crushes on teachers. I am not saying the media should never have that. I should not, I, I am not suggesting that at all. However, it's when it starts crossing these lines and not really going into, like, like when the intent, even if your end goal is not to, like, titillate your viewers, you're taking a lot of these cues as if you want to do it for leading up to it. And, and intent, I think, intent is one thing, but I feel like the actual execution of everything in the grant, while you're making it there, still has a lot of weight. Because until this point, I don't know where the fuck you're going, writers. Like, I don't know where the fuck you're going with this idea. Because Manny tries to be like, oh, like, you know, what's what's up? And Paige articulates her concerns with how she can't get any privacy with him. How she can't get to his apartment alone and things like that. And Manny, coming from, keep in mind, coming from the background of all of the bullshit that she has been through. With specifically Craig is like well maybe he has a girlfriend like why is this like hot 20 something dating you he probably has a girlfriend too and once again it's not he's a fucking creep it's men like him want to like have it all would have been um would have been nice for like they cut to the outside of the gym um, and may just screams is um like because he's a fucking pedophile (laughs) right but like that's the thing it's like the whole idea of it is a common miscommunication plot that we've seen in degrassi with relationships which is like my partner is not being forthcoming to me oh no are they cheating oh no are they doing something we've seen this in teen drama we've seen this in media all the time where somebody thinks doesn't quite know the full truth of their partner and then they find out the full truth and it usually ends up being something that's sad not actually like uh, like cheating like they think it's cheating and it ends up being in this case we'll talk about it but in other cases it's like oh they have to take time to visit their like sick grandmother or oh they like foster kittens and like you know they like i don't fucking know they have something that occupies their time that is not matching up to the perception of their cheating yeah so uh cut back to the movie theater there's only two locations in this three locations this episode right 
Paige on the phone with customer service about her phone. (laughs) (laughs) She's like outside, like out in front of the theater area. She's on the phone um, and she's claiming that her phone doesn't work, to which the person on the other line is like, well, you're calling on it. Uh, And Mary is just for some reason concerned that this adult stood up a child when she should have been like, oh, I understand. I'll get the, um, I'll get the crew to tar and feather him and run him out of town. Right. And, like, Paige is just like, oh, yeah, like, do you think he's cheating on me or whatever? And Miri's like, you're the one asking it. Like, you're the one saying it. Like When she should also be saying, I'm your boss, I don't care. Right. It's just, like, <laughs> this weird logic puzzle that just I'm not quite getting during this whole entire concept of a plot because it's just like like why 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 are we doing this why are we doing this it's just like it's beat for beat of something that this should not be um to which Paige then just barges to oleanders how does she know his address uh who cares (laughs) i guess um so Paige confronts oleander by barging into his apartment and when she barges into the apartment it's a fucking wreck it, it's a shithole. It, it's a literal shithole. Yeah, it's it's a real shithole. Um, the toilet, like the toilet leaked upstairs, so now there's water damage everywhere. There are pans catching all of the water. Apparently, like his utilities are just not really working. Um, it's a wreck. It is a sad fucking thing. Um, it's it's the kind of um, it's the kind of apartment I went to in college. Where I would immediately leave because I asked for a spoon and they said, here, give him the spoon. I said, that's f- a funny thing to call it because it sounds like you only have the one. And I'm yep. Like, yep. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm done here. <laughs> New Brunswick, baby. See, if it was a true New Brunswick apartment, the the floors would be slanted and everything would have to, like, be moved just so to compensate it. <laughs> Oleander's like, look, this is a show house, okay? Like, that uh, would at least be funny. That would at least be something for me to go off of, because this is just like, I'm so sad, I'm in a shitty apartment, I didn't want you to see my shitty apartment. And it's like, oh, where? Like, yeah, it sucks, but also, you're a creep and nobody's talking about it. And Paige is written so out of character that she's just like, awesome, I can't wait to bone in, like, the, the hot dog man's fucking apartment. Oh! But, like, also, like, like, she she gets really excited because he says, he uses the term relationship when referring to them, and then, of course, she's like, oh, like, we're in a relationship, that means, like, I can stay and we can be in a relationship, and it's just gross, um, really gross, because once again, regardless of what the end result of this plot is, it's being, com- it's supposed to, in this moment, come off romantic. Oh, and I meant the fan man, but I wouldn't Cotswinkle, not the hot dog man. I, I just saw a terrifying image of just all the water was hot dog water. Oh. <laughs> uh, and also, Paige is written so goddamn out of character in this. It's just odd, because it's just like, I feel like... Like, the page of the past would be like, well, ew, I'm out. You're right, though. Like, Paige is petty. And, like, I understand, you know, she's in love or whatever... But also, I feel like Paige, when she is in love, still has, like, really high standards. Like, she still expects 
spinner to behave a certain way, to call her certain things, to do certain things, etc., etc. And here we see her kind of stumbling over herself to, to, for this. And it's like, you know, once again, there's a power dynamic, right? Like she, you know, she feels wanted and desired by this older man. So maybe, maybe it's not out of character so much as she is compromising it because she likes the attention and whatever. But at the same time, it kind of feels like we have seen Paige lash out and we have seen Paige spiral and we have seen Paige do a whole lot of stuff and still stay pretty damn true to her character. I I feel like I didn't really lose my way with her as a character until this plot. Yep. But they... She eventually admits that, like, you know, she thought he cheated... Um, and they kind of have this revelation of, like, how, like, maybe they don't know about, as much about each other as they thought they did, um, and unfortunately, they kiss, and all is well, and I crave death. Yep. And that's the B plot. Awesome. It's more about the A plot. Yep. Oh, God, I hate this beginning of the A plot so much. It's so sad because it's like Ellie wakes up on a couch and her freaking ferret's crawling everywhere, which if you remember, we were sitting there going, hey, why didn't Ellie get a cage for the ferret? Well, perhaps this was a continuity thing because now the ferret's just wilding out everywhere, noodling about. For the next minute or so. Right. So she's getting ready to leave. Um, she has like nasty expired orange juice. She's like trying to get ready and throw everything together. She calls for Mr. Bueller and she cannot hear him because he barks. Like, I mean, I guess she's listening for scrambling, but still. Um, well, like, it's so sad. Like, um, they're having a conversation about the rent. Uh, the, yeah, the landlord shows up. It's kind of your typical slumlord look. He's saying that, like, you know, she has to actually give money, which I thought was actually interesting in the sense of, like, she says that Sean was the one who did the rent stuff, and then last month she didn't know what to do about the rent. Yeah. Which I actually really liked as a little detail, because I think that it's something I deeply relate to in the sense of, like, when you live on your own after living with somebody for as long, for, like, ever, you don't, you, there's a lot of things you don't know how to do. Like, just because the other person was willing to do it. So, I did really like that Ellie struggles with that and that she probably just got super overwhelmed by the premise of, like, yeah, okay, you could ask the landlord, you could knock on their door if they are in the building or whatever, you could send them a text. But sometimes you're just too overwhelmed to really do it. And I like that Ellie kind of embodies that anxiety. Yeah. So. Oh, and what happens to, the way we find out something happened to Ferret Bueller is that um, you see one of the lights flicker. And Ellie says, oh, he chews on electrical cords. And he was electrocuted. He unfortunately has passed on. And it's, like, really sad because she's, like, looking at his, uh, presumably looking at his electrocuted body and is just really upset about it. And I was just like, this was, like, unnecessarily cruel. Yeah. It's just, like, one of those little things that just did not need to be as sad and distressing as it actually was. Yeah. But, um... But yeah, so R.I.P. Bueller. 
Um, R.I.P. Beth character. Right. Um, and then we go to the next scene in the at the picnic table. The boys are playing euchre with Alex. Um, and as they're playing euchre, Ellie's watching and talking to Marco about how um, how Bueller died. Um, and Marco is kind of really sweet about it. He's like, well, we could have a ferret funeral. Like, we could actually, like, observe the life of, of your ferret. And I thought that was really sweet because we have kind of not had as much Ellie and Marco interaction. And while it might, it looks like it might have been table that they actually had, like, a huge falling out um, at the end of the, it was the third season finale that was the, not what it was pitched as, right? Yeah. So, like, maybe that, you know, could have actually been an interesting relationship to see kind of fall fall apart or go through some tension. In this one, it just kind of seemed like the writers just didn't put them together for various reasons because one was part of one group's plot, the other one was in the other group's plot. But it's nice to kind of go back and see that they're still friends. And that Marco is willing to be there for something that's really tough. Um, and Ellie is very appreciative of it. However, Ellie reveals that she has to have dinner with her mom who will then give her her rent check. Um, and it's, you know, a lot of, like, a lot of tension about it. Um, but Marco's very clear, like, you know, I will be there for you afterwards. Um, like, just let me know. I don't, like, you know, I really don't mind. You're not a burden. Um, and what I really like about this, which I'm not really going into in my analysis of it, is that I really enjoy the banter that is happening in this and i i think that this whole entire a plot has a really good banter minus one comment um between the characters which the euchre crew is jimmy craig marco alex ellie and it's really nice seeing all of them interact with each other and acting like kids yeah um sorry i was trying to find this um tumblr post with somebody made a point of, like, don't make fun of people who don't have conventional pets. Oh. Um, and they were specifically talking about, like, this woman had gerbils, and one of her gerbils passed away during the day while her friend was staying over. And, like, her friend had been like, like oh, they're just rodents, and, like, mm-hmm. you're the only 25-year-old I know of gerbils. Oh. But, like, and just every pet, you know, but, like, when she got back home, like, she just wanted to keep going through the weekend, and, like, she got back home, her friend was making, like, a gerbil coffin on her front porch, and, like, they had a little funeral and whatnot, and I'm just, like, just a good boy, I know. Yeah, like, that's the thing, it's, like, as somebody who had rats, like, literally the most annoying thing about having rats is people's reactions to having rats, that and their short lifespans, but, like, People, like, make so much fun about having rats and don't recognize how wonderful they truly are and how they're great creatures. And especially when some of my favorite, like, my my best, most bonded rats I had were hairless rats. It's a really tough sell to people. It's a really fucking tough sell. We had a, um, like, there was a time my family just adopted rodents that people didn't want. Mm-hmm. And we had a pair of rats for a while. And one of them just got very sick. Mm. Um, and, like, when she finally passed away, like, my mother did not, like, we went, my sister and I went back to college, and we just kind of left them at home for my mother to take care of. And my mom's definitely afraid of rats. 
But she eventually grew to care for these two, and, like, when the last one did pass away, she's like, I felt bad. Like, she, like, I kept trying to offer her a cheese wedge, and she wouldn't take it, and I was like, well, I think she's gone. Yeah. They get very emotional. They're very emotional creatures. Mm. Um, I can't speak to ferrets, but I know people who have had ferrets and absolutely love them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a death, and in Ellie's case, it represents a whole lot, right? Because this was her last-ditch effort, almost, with Sean and everything, and, like, making them have some structure... And then Sean left, and then she became a single pet parent, and that's fucking rough. Especially when, like, you're not doing a good job, and you know you're not doing a good job, and then in the case of the animal death, you are negligible for, like, for everything and how bad of a job you did. So, it's entirely understandable why she is, like, you know, why she's really hurting right now, and it's nice to see that Marco was validating it. Um... But yeah, the banter is really good in this part of the episode. We go to the restaurant where Ellie is meeting with her mom. Um, They're eating, and really the only sound is kind of like utensil scraping on the plates and all of that. And Ellie's mom says that she's proud of Ellie for being able to live on her own and being able to kind of be independent. That's not easy things to do. And her mom says that specifically she's been sober and she's been in treatment for and she's been in treatment for three months um, and asks Ellie to come back home. Um, and Ellie responds very negatively, which nobody can really blame her, to be honest. Sure. Dahlia knocks over Frank's phone while I'm trying to analyze media. Uh, Dahlia, ma'am. But, um, but anyway, <laughs> she... <laughs> I let her down, but she seems confused about where she is. Yep. Um, Ellie then says, like, you know, I don't trust you. Like, why am I going to come back to your home if I don't trust you? Which is very fair. Um, and then it escalates to her taking the rent money and saying that this will be the last rent check that she accepts from her mom. <laughs> For some reason, I was reminded of The Simpsons, where... No, too long a story, who cares? Ah! <laughs> I just... I did a cost-benefit analysis in my head, and I'm just like, nah. Alright. Um, so then we cut back to the funeral. Um, it's sweet. Yeah, they've made like a little cairn for him. Yeah. Um, and, like... Ellie kind of, I feel like, sums up what every pet owner feels like. I can't, I'm sorry I couldn't take care of you better or longer. I'm just really sorry you're gone. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough as hell. And I mean, with her, she was irresponsible. And she's kind of, honestly, a bit old to be that irresponsible. But I also understand that she wasn't in the best headspace to even get a pet. Yeah. And she can still feel bad. Like, it's... It's sad. It's really sad. And Marco just is kind of like, you know, in the in there, letting her take up the space that she needs and being there for her. Yeah. And which I, they, I cut, we cut to the next scene. I absolutely just adore. Yeah. Um, where Marco doesn't want her to stay here by herself. Um, and she like, and he like prepares her like a drink and gives it to her, like a little mug and gives it to her and everything. Yeah. Um, and... 
they, you know, they talk about, like, what they could do, and Marco reveals that he has a deck of cards so they can play Euchre, um, and he brings up that he, every Thursday, goes to play Euchre with Dylan's hockey, hockey boys, um, and he just straight up is like, hello, I objectify these men, (laughs) which, like... I appreciate his honesty. <laughs> he's like, I like to lose. Because he's like, basically like, I lose after three rounds. And, and Ellie's like, well, why do you go? And he's like, hello, still is hockey team. Hello. But just start flexing after a while. Right. Like, I'm like, okay, okay. I mean, not my type, but okay. I respect it. I respect the hustle. Um, but yeah, it's, it's cute. Honestly, in, like, a weird way, the way that they're bouncing off of each other. Once again, I really like the banter of this episode. I think the A plot had really good banter, which is funny because the B plot, nobody's talking like a human. In the A plot, everyone's talking very human. So, what the fuck? But, um, they end up going to school. Like, they actually, before that, they have a really cute little, like, interlude where they, like, learn how to play, where Ellie learns how to play Euchre. And then they go to school together, um, and Ellie reveals that she knows about Euchre because she's looking at it and she's saying, it, saying like, what's going on. Um, Craig makes a weird comment about how Marco's hair makes him look like Ashley, which I was not a big fan of. Which I think it would just kind of fell under the banter stuff, but it was like, you didn't have to do it. And he's had that hair for a while. Right, like... Yeah, he's been flat ironing it a bit, but like we've seen his hair not flat ironed, so yeah, whatever. Um, but yeah, so they ma- he makes the comment about Marco's hair, um, and Marco gets kicked out as uh for being the euchre pair, and Ellie joins in, um, and she starts off the game. Everyone's really suspicious of how she's approaching the game, but eventually, um. Is, is doing intriguing moves, and then when things are beginning to get interesting, uh, the bell rings, and Jimmy is like, well, we can always skip, like, fuck it. Like, who gives a shit? Jimmy's like, I've been going through it. I think I deserve to skip class once in a while. Um, uh, is that just sweet for skipping? Right, because they're skipping French class. Anyway. Um, so this is where we get the thing of Craig trying to bust into the boiler room. Right, so like Craig tries to bust into the boiler room, he's like, huh? Okay. Um, and then they decide to go to the basement. And yeah, the kids are just playing euchre on the top of a garbage can. Real quick, how did or the bottom of it. There? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, in theory, hopefully, I mean, in the school that I work at now, there is a elevator that goes all the way down to the basement. Gotcha. So... Maybe, in theory, Degrassi has an elevator that would have basement access. Um, I'd assume so. I'd hope so, because that's the only logistic that you can really come up with. Yeah. Um, the kids are having fun. They're playing it on the, I guess, the bottom of a garbage can, technically, because it's flipped over. Um, and Alex suggests that after, they, after, like, one game, maybe they should play for money. She reveals that she has $20. Um, they... She and Ellie get victory, and they get money, um, and Ellie suggests that maybe she and Alex can play against these hockey bros. Yeah. So we go to the locker, and Marco says, okay, if you want to play with the hockey bros, you have to host, and you need to make sure that you have food, that these nasty little hockey boys will be satisfied. 
um, and that the hands go for like fifty to sixty dollars or something like that. It's a lot of money. Like how? I'm not gonna say. I was gonna say how much money do these kids have, and then I remember hockey players usually come from pretty rich families a lot of the time. Not every single one, but like a lot of the ones that I have interacted with come from pretty affluent families. So maybe maybe it's just that um, that they have the luxury of being able to do that. But it's a lot of money. Um, Marco is really apprehensive because he knows that Ellie's financial situation and he's not really sure if he feels comfortable co-signing it. However, Alex is all in and it's just like, yeah, we got money. We don't have much money, but like we just got to make sure we don't lose it. Um, then we end up at Ellie's and Alex and Ellie are kind of scraping money together. Um, and they realize they really don't have much and probably not enough to really participate. So Ellie takes the rent, uh, not even the check, it's cash, takes the rent cash and ends up passing it and saying, hey, like, let's put, let's put my rent money into it. And what I love about this is when she says that she's going to put her rent money into this, um, Alex's face shifts entirely. Yeah. Um... Yeah, she's, like, I feel like because Alex comes from a life that understands the importance of that money. Right. And, like, um... And also that sometimes it's hard to come by. Yeah. Rent is fucking, it's a lot. It's a lot, and it's a bullshit system that we have. But it is, unfortunately, right now, the only way to really keep a roof over your head. So, what I really love about this is Alex finds out about the situation and then decides that she she then suggests, like, let's not put all of your money into it. Yeah. Let's just take some of it. Let's not put your entire freaking rent money into this. Yeah. Um, the hockey team arrives... I, I like just Marso, fu- Marso, Marco, like, fussing about through this episode. Right, right. He like, just, like, takes it upon himself to host. We've already gone through all the pizzas. He's like, oh, no, no, they're like, they're like, not even pizza pizzas. They're like, like, I don't want to, the pizza, the pizzettes or something like that. He's like, we've gone through the pizzettes. But he's, he says it like he's on a submarine and, like, a torpedo's approaching. To be fair, that's me hosting, too. It's like, I give everything way too much weight. And that's just what happens. Um, Frank, can you pass me the water bottle? Yes. Because someone was a bad girl and is going to get sprayed on live. Where is she? Is that underneath the chair? Underneath the chair. Yeah, I'm a snitch. Okay. Thank you. Okay, so here's the thing. I'm looking these up. These are not what I thought they were. What are? Pizzettes. Pizzettes. What are they? Oh, they look kind of nice. Yeah, no, I, I would I would make this as an adult for <laughs> a dinner party. Marco. Okay, so what I'm looking at is some kind of white sauce. Looks like tzatziki sauce. Smoked salmon on a little bread thing with onion and garnished with dill or something. It definitely does not look like something some, you know, a bunch of hockey players are going to come in. Oh, I guess you could make different kinds, but they all, still all look fancy. 
I feel like it's like I'm imagining Marco being like, yeah, okay, so like here's the menu. Um, we got pizzas, um, and then we got yinglings because they're hockey players. So, um, Dylan arrives. Haven't seen him in a while. Yeah, I don't um, even know if you can get yingling in Toronto. My, I have no idea. I, I love this Alex line. I'm Alex. This is Ellie, my friend. We're here to defeat you. I love Alex. Ugh. Light of my life. Like, Alex needs a star in her own anime, and that's what she says to the final boss. Yeah. Yeah, that works. Um, they, but yeah, like, so she's just, like, all in, and of course Ellie's just like, yeah! Um, and Ellie also is noting how much she likes being in a team. Um, I feel like this could have been done, I don't know if it could have been done, I feel like it could have been done differently, um, but they really are trying to drag in the fact that Ellie is alone. Sean has left her, now she is utterly alone, and she always, like, needs, wants support now, and she enjoys playing Euchre with Alex because it makes her feel like she's a part of something, and a part of some sort of connection. Um, so, we have them playing euchre i unfortunately don't know enough about euchre to really tell you what's going on gameplay wise but what i do like is that they have a lot of emphasis on their faces so you can kind of read what's going on by looking at how they're reacting to everything yeah so i was able to read the scene very well even though like i don't really know how to play euchre at all yeah um and then um alex um, like, wants to put more money in, but, um, it's like they have one point, it looks like it's not gonna fall into their favor. Ellie is saying, like, we, like, we're fucked, and Alex is saying, no, we're not. And yeah. Ellie is not trusting Alex is telling the truth. Well, yeah, and then... But then there's the whole thing of Ellie saying, move in with me. Yeah, so it, like, it's this weird swirl of emotion of, like, Ellie kind of, like, riding the high of this. And is just like, move in with me. Like, why not? And Alex is like, what? <laughs> yeah, like, once again, I think Alex comes from a very specific set of circumstances. Yeah, and that's exactly it. Because, um... Ellie is just like, you know, this would be a lot of fun, and, like, I need fun. And Alex is like, what the fuck? Like... I, I, like, basically, like... Like, I, I, I do... I just, I love Alex in this moment. Because, like, she says, like, move move to what... We'll say again with Sean if you're lonely, or suck it up and go home. And Ellie... Yeah, so my mom was drunk, always drunk, right up tonight she lit the house on fire, so which I have supplies, but she's sober now and paying your rent all the time trying to make things right with you. Wow, what a monster. The hockey boys are waiting. When you come back to the table, leave the sucky girl behind. It's very Alex, but I do, I don't know, I'm very conflicted on the actual overall takeaway from this. Yeah, like... I just, I just like it because Alex is... like a woman of her convictions yes yes i know i agree and i think that alex has very specific circumstances and i don't blame alex for acting this way because i think to alex like her feelings like that's probably to a certain extent why she stays with her mom right because she sees that her mom is trying 
And she doesn't see her mom as a monster. She sees her mom as a survivor. And she doesn't hold that as much again. Like, she doesn't hold what her mom has gone through against her and will defend her mom. So to her, Ellie doing this weird kind of fade away with her mother doesn't really make sense. Even though, to me, it does make sense. as Because in Ellie's case, it's that weird... It's a very teenage thing. I think it's also just a very adult thing, too, where... You acknowledge the fuck-ups, you acknowledge the lack of trust, but you also understand that there is a system at play here and you need to accept money for it. Yeah. The thing is, is that this is a system, and we know that Alex likes to work with and against systems, but this is one that, to Alex, just does not compute. Yeah. Because to her, like, you know... If, if somebody wanted, like, you know, she she sees, like, she sees her mother. And that's the way that she's, now that's how she's responding to this situation. Alex, honestly, reminds me a lot of Mike Ehrmantraut from Breaking Bad. Didn't watch Breaking Bad, fun fact. Okay, I, yeah, I, I figured. It's a, it's, a, it's a rough watch. Yeah, no, um, that's fair. But one of my, there, there comes a part, like, there's this, he's a tough for the, the main bad guy, Gus, but, like, he's a man of a code of honor and whatnot. And, like, there comes a point where the main character, Walter White, says, like, turn against your boss and help me. Like, he's going to kill us all. And Mike's response is to punch Walter in the face and then kick him twice while he's down. And it just reminds me of this, like, look, you don't switch sides. Like, you pick your side and you stick with it. And that's what I, how I feel like with Alex. Yeah, I mean, Alex has very, like, black and white, like, this is what it is and this is what it's not. Yeah. Ellie kind of lives in the gray area for many, many different circumstances, but especially in a circumstance like this. Yeah, like, I feel like Alex is very much in this moment being like, look, your mom's gone through some shit, she is trying, like, you don't ditch your mom. Right. Like, she sees every mom as her mom. Yes. Yes. So. Yeah, it's it's really tricky. I don't think they execute this aspect as well as I would like it to. Because it it falls into the trap, I think, a lot of abuse narratives do. Where it's like, yeah, but your parents are trying, so you should forgive them. When in actuality, that does not account for the trauma that they have put you through. And, like, forgiveness is not necessarily the end goal. At the end, uh, like, you know, with relationships like this. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the survivor wants to forgive, but that's not, not, not something to be expected. Yeah. So, um, they end up playing, and Alex, and, like, everyone's, like, kind of, like, having, like, this weird, like, there's just so much tension. Alex is snapping at Ellie and snapping at Marco, and Ellie has no faith in Alex or the hand that she has. Um, and then Alex then reveals that she, the winning hand, and as she wins it, she's taunting Ellie about, like, how she does not trust her. Yeah. It's tough. I think Alex and Ellie are lonely in different ways. Yes, yes. Like, Ellie is lonely in that she will take anyone at this point if they're going to be her friend. Alex is basically like, look, I am brusque, I am rude, and you better, like, you can respect me and like me, or you can go fuck yourself. 
Right. And and also with Alex, keep in mind, her alliances are shifting right now. Yeah. She is she has gone from being in like a crew and being, you know, being dating one of the the head the you know, the head groony to now she is with these kids who I mean, yeah, they've had their struggles, but overall just are not from the same experiences that she is. Yeah. She's an outsider. And I think that you can make the argument that, you know, this is a way better place for her to be. Like, it's better to be playing euchre with some kids and, like, dicking around. Maybe you cut class once in a while, but, like, that's normal teenage bullshit than being with people who are complicit in agitating an already, like, horrible little man. Or hanging out in that van down by the river. Right, exactly. So, like... This is ultimately probably a good decision for Alex to do, but at the same time, it, it sucks because there is a transition period and people are embracing her to a certain extent, but that doesn't mean that your complex is going to stop. Yeah. You're still going to feel like an outsider. You're still going to feel weird about everything. Um, but yeah, so she's like coming off very hard about this, but that's also because she... I mean, she, she feels like she has to. And yeah. also, she's seeing this as a lack of trust. And she thinks it's bullshit. And I, I get it. I get both sides. Yeah. Um, so, uh, our final scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're back at Ellie's. We haven't really left. There's a knock at the door. It's Mrs. Nash. Mrs. Nash wants to know why she's been brought out here in the middle of the night. Ellie's like, I need to make sure you weren't drunk and we're capable of doing this. Um, and that she has written a letter to her landlord giving two months notice. And Mrs. Nash is hopeful that she, like, one, annoyed that she got woken up as a test. Mm-hmm. And two, is but then happy that Ellie's coming home. Um, Mrs. Nash points out, like, this is a process and I'm trying day by day. Right. Um, and, like, we realize, I think, where Mrs. Nash gets her loneliness from, and that's from Ellie. Or, excuse me, where Ellie gets her loneliness from. It's from the fact that, like, with Ellie's dad overseas, there's, they just have each other. Yeah. Which, now that I'm saying that out loud, brings up a nice parallel to Alex. That I'm, I'm assuming Alex only has... Her mother, and... And the revolving door of horrible men, apparently. Yeah. So. It's it's tough. And, I don't know. This is... It, it's hard, because it's like... It's hard for me to rectify narratives like this. Because I do, on one hand, think that... I don't know. I don't know. It's like, you want to give addicts chances, right? Like, you don't want to suggest that addicts are incapable of ever, like doing the right thing ever again you want to believe and you should believe and put investment in people to be able to be supported and do the correct thing at the same time it is very difficult to rectify like three months is nothing in the grand scheme of processing trauma yeah like I've been in therapy consistently for, like, four months, and I feel like I've hardly scratched the surface. Yeah. And 
I think what would have made me feel a little better about this is if they had some sort of plan in place. Maybe they go to family counseling or they go or they like have very set boundaries or expectations. I think if they began that conversation at the end of this episode, I would feel better about how it ends i mean to be fair it's also like probably like two in the morning no it is two in the morning no i understand i i think if you were going to do that you would have to restructure the whole episode really not the whole episode but at least that last scene but i feel like i feel like there's a lot going on and to just have it be the way that it was doesn't quite address the fact that like ellie up until like you know the last minute of the episode was clearly like constantly being activated by interacting with her mother and while moving in with her financially makes sense and maybe in the long term would be better for their relationship it is worrisome when you see her like physically agitated and upset interacting with her for or even when she's even mentioned yeah it's it's worrisome yeah not to say that it can't be good, but I think that they would have had to, as writers, address a little bit more for me to be fully reassured that this was the a good decision. Yeah. And that's that's the episode. Yep. So what's the rating? Uh, C plus. Yeah. Not terrible. Not great. It's, it's just the it's there. B plot. The it, damn B plot. It just washed. Well, the B plot took it down from an A. Um, <laughs> Straight to a B minus, and then like it was just, it, this episode just kind of washed over me. I didn't really care that much. There's pieces of it I liked better than I thought I would. Yeah, but overall, it's it's pretty weak. Yeah. All right. All right. So character rankings. Um, Alex is rising to still on the rise to page levels. Um, so they can hang out. Page, I'm still not blaming you for uh going after an adult who should know better. Um, Mr. Oleander continue to languish in ranking hell. I don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Jimmy for standing up for Philip Bueller and telling Alex to have a heart. Uh, you're on the rise. Marco for being just the sweetest boy. Continue to hang amongst page levels. Um, Manny for being the knowing... Uh, the knowing lady gets to hang out, uh, gets to be on the rise. Hazel, just say where you are. I don't know where you, what's going with, with your deal. Um, is that about it? Okay. Oh, Craig, for your transphobic joke, you're bumping down seven steps. Oof. Um, uh, I think that's it. Okay. So now we'll move on to recommendations. This is where we recommend things that are... Oh, now I'm finally yawning (coughs) and coughing. Perfect for the podcast. This is where we go on to recommendations. This is where we recommend things that are tangentially related or directly related, etc., etc. I'm still going through it. And by that I mean I am still just only playing Fire Emblem and watching Top Chef. Um, However... Um, I just picked up the third volume of Our Dreams at Dusk, and it is a really special manga series that I might have recommended on here before, but it is all about um, 
this kid who comes out as gay against his will and is kind of losing his, like, you know, losing his, like, will to live, quite frankly. Um, but in the process of dealing with all of that, ends up meeting up with a whole collective of LGBTQ people who help him learn more about how he's not alone. And it's just a really beautiful special manga that is really, that is being lovingly released right now. Um, so go to your local bookstore and pick it up for sure. Um, but I'm really liking it. And then, of course, I'm playing Fire Emblem. I am still on the Blue Lion route. And I am loving it. I'm so emotional. I love Dimitri Fire Emblem, as we all know. That's my recommendations. Um... Yeah, I recommended the current war last week. Um, uh, I don't want to just recommend. Oh yeah, and I'm I'll recommend. Donnie didn't do it, so I'll do it. I'm recommending Kermit singing. Ah uh, yes, you're right. Um, I did. Talking heads. It's amazing. I'll send Donnie the link to post on the Facebook. <laughs> yes. Um. Other than that, I, I've been reading uh, Sarah Val's book, Lafayette in the Somewhat United States. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about the Revolutionary War, which I'm not super interested in. So instead, I'm going to uh, suggest her other book, Assassination Vacation, where she travels the country going to all the places that um, presidents have been shot and then died. Ooh. I, I did not know William McKinley died in Long Branch, New Jersey. I didn't know that either. Yeah, I kind of want to go visit that. Um, yeah, so that's it for me. All right. So, um, we're done. Nice. Okay. So if you want to talk to us, there's a couple ways you can do that. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or you're interested in potentially appearing on the podcast, you can email us at ihopepod at gmail.com. Please keep in mind that I have a new job. I'm trying to get used to it. I am always checking those emails. So it might take me a little bit to get back to you um, as I am getting used to this new position. Um, it's exciting and good stuff, so hopefully you understand. Um, if you want to keep in touch with us on social media, um, we're not always the most active because of my schedule. However, you can follow our Facebook group at I Hope I Can Make It Through Podcast or you can follow us on Twitter at I Hope Pod. Um, shout out to... I don't think I don't even know if this person listens to our podcast, but I was notified that there's someone who has churned out like 32 fix on AO3 in the past. Hold on, hold on. This has like been fascinating to me. Frank, you can cut out me pulling this up, but and this is what I love about running our social media. But um, it was. Give me a second to pull this up. Once again, Frank, you can take this all out. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So, follow us on Twitter at I Hope Pod um, and send us really fun stuff. Like, for example, I have been notified, Frank, that somebody has written 42 fix on AO3 in the past nine months all about Jay and Spinner. I'm honestly, I was hoping for a different coupling. No, but this is what is happening. Now, this is back in 2010 that this happened. However, some of these fics, I mean, some of them are drabbles. Some of them are like 100 words or so. However, some of them are like 4,000, 1,200. Okay. 
this person just just went just was like really feeling feeling it and did this and i don't know if this person is listening to the podcast but honestly please email us if you are or if you know who this person is um ao3 user sinner xx sinner with a y can we please get them onto the show can we find this person on ao3 because I would do, do, love to hear more. Do not harass them about it, though, please. Yo, they're still updating. They're still writing fic. Oh, shit. You guys can look this up on AO3. Fair enough. Um, anyway, so sometimes I get notified about fun stuff like that. Um, and I strongly recommend it. Also, like, I love hearing about people's experiences in the fandom of Degrassi. Um because I just think it's a really interesting little thing. I was not super, super into the fandom, but it is really cool hearing, like, when you were kids, what your ships were and things like that. If you want to support the show, there's a couple ways you can do it as well. You can write us reviews. We have our review challenge. Once we hit 20, we are going to go back to the Degrassi archives and do some Degrassi Junior High, Degrassi High. And then once we hit 30, we're actually going to try and write one of the plotline shuffles that we have done, which I would love to do another one of. I had a lot of fun with it. Maybe we can do it because we will have a very special, special person who will be around on next week. So, wink, 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 wonk, <laughs> behind the curtain. Um, anyway, really rambling. Sorry, everybody. If you want to talk to me, you can follow me on Twitter at I hope I can make it through podcast. Um, no, you can't. I'm really losing it. I got so distracted and then I lost my train of thought. Anyway. We have a review challenge, but we also have our coffee account. You can donate money to our coffee account, um, and that is really helpful. It helps us compensate guests and also helps us with tech upgrades. Um, and those are just two ways that you can support the show. Frank's going to have a lot of fun editing around my rambling and my losing my train of thought. Anyway, if you want to talk to me individually, you can follow me on Twitter at DM is Unbreakable. Um, unfortunately, it is Fire Emblem Hell still. Um, but if you want to talk to me about Degrassi, I am always down. Um, it is locked right now for personal reasons, so if you would like to follow it, um, you know, as long as you have enough information, you're clearly not, like, I don't know, a bot, I'll probably follow you back. Um, but it is Fire Emblem Hell right now. I do post some fic on there as well, so if you are curious to see what I offer from fan work, please check it out. Um, and yeah, that's all for me. I don't have a Twitter, but I do have another podcast called Teen Girl Talk. Um, this week we did the uh, just terrible movie after, where we counted the number of red flags the main male romantic lead puts up. It's 16. It's bonkers. Um, I am sure I would challenge on uh, Instagram if you want to check out my pics. Uh, and that's it for me. Nice. And with that said, everybody, we hope we can keep making it through. And now you're going to be there with us. Later. Bye. Won't you keep my heart from breaking if it's only for a very short time? Playing with the queen of hearts. No one